Uh, it was late one night. I was flipping through the channels trying to find something to watch. And other than the info commercials, the famous ones like ShamWow and OxyClean, about the only thing I could find was an old magic show. I began to watch series of magic tricks and thrilling illusions. Each one was more compelling than the last. I was zoned in, and every time I thought I had it figured out, I was wrong. Wasn't even close. It must be the producers using some type of camera tricks, I thought to myself. And then the host kept saying, there are no camera tricks involved. The host said, in fact, the only thing that is tricking you is actually tricking, you are tricking yourself. It's you that's tricking yourself. It's called inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness is the very foundation for every Houdini-like illusion since the beginning of time. Magicians rely on it for the success of their show. It depends on it. Inattentional blindness is a trick that our own brains play on us, keeping us preoccupied with one thing while making us completely unaware of another. So while we are concentrating on somewhere else, another more critical thing could be occurring in view. But unaware and oblivious, we realize that we have missed something or we have missed someone who really deserves our full attention. This kind of blindness has nothing to do with vision and everything to do with attention and focus. To say the least, in 2020, we have had many moments and opportunities to lose our focus by placing our attention on other things. This year has felt like a very slow-moving magic trick. Just when we think we realize what's about to happen, not even close. We fix our focus on our lives and sports. Sports are canceled. We fix our focus on preparing to graduate high school. Canceled. We fix our focus on starting college. Canceled. We fix our focus on travel. Canceled. Weddings. Canceled. Parties. Canceled. Hair appointments. Canceled. Doctor's appointments. Canceled. Canceled. And canceled. And for most of us, we have been sitting on pins and needles hoping that we can make it through the Thanksgiving season without hearing that famous word, cancel. Well, I think for most of us, we did it. Congratulations. Thanksgiving 2020 definitely looked a lot different, but that's okay. We can't control what happens, but we can control where we put our focus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18, says this. says, Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This morning on this side of Thanksgiving, I want to share with you three results that we can have when we keep our focus on being thankful. Not just once a year, but in all circumstances. Three results that we can have when we keep our focus on being thankful all year long. Number one, being thankful reminds, or I'm sorry, realigns my perspective. Being thankful realigns my perspective. 
Don't know if you know this or are aware of this, but Americans, we have the tendency to complain and complain a lot. Some research shows that we as Americans, we complain out loud about 20 times a day. Now you add in all the complaining and grumbling that you may see on social media, and our minds are saturated with complaining. Whining may just be a spiritual disease. We are natural born grumblers. And for some of us, we have a yearly membership to count complaining. Many of us whine more than we worship. And many of us gripe more than we express gratitude. Complaining causes us to lose our focus or perspective and become ungrateful for what we have or what we do not have. For me to realign my perspective, I need to remind myself that God is still God. He is still in control. This year did not catch him by surprise, nor did it divert his attention. He knew it would happen, and even in the middle of this crazy season, he is still moving, and you and I still have a mission. The story in Acts chapter 16 you can turn there. I'm going to read uh, several verses. Acts chapter 16, most of us are familiar with it. Acts chapter 16, you have Paul and Silas and a few others. And Acts chapter 16, verse 16 says, once, we, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit that, she, that predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept telling them this for days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Verse 19, When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They were brought before the, the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans to accept to practice. The crowd joined in and attacked Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now, there are several characters in this short passage that have, their, they have an attitude of complaining. They're grumbling. You would think the people who, quote, unquote, owned this lady who was a slave, you would think when the evil spirit left her, they would rejoice. Right? You're free. Go. Live your life. The evil spirit is not living inside you no more. But no, they simply complained. And then they took their complaining to the authorities. And authorities took their complaining to the streets. And now you got people in the streets complaining. And half the people in the streets probably don't know why they're complaining. They're just complaining because other people are complaining. And then all of a sudden, the jailer gets involved. And the jailer's like, I'm not sure what's happening, but I'm not just going to put you in a jail cell. I'm going to put you one in the very middle. In the inner cell. I want to tuck you. I don't know why they're complaining, but hey, I'm complaining too. You would think out of this little short passage, out of all the people that would be complaining, it would be Paul and Silas. 
They're the ones that were basically minding their own business, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And now all of a sudden, they're drugged into the streets, stripped, beaten, spit on, flogged, and now their hands are chained, their feet are in stocks. In the middle of the prison, you would think, out of all the people that could complain and would complain, it would be Paul and Silas. Well, verse 25 says this. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining. No. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That's a good point for me. I don't know if it's a good point for you guys, but I have to remind myself that people hear what I say. Whether good, negative, they hear what I say, and other prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. They knew what just took place. They heard the commotion, but Paul and Silas did not complained. They prayed and sung hymns. Verse 26, suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul and Silas shouted, don't harm yourself for we are here. See what happens to this jailer. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas had every right to complain, but their attitude made a huge difference in this jailer's life. And not only the jailer, but we see later the entire household of this jailer. Paul and Silas had a choice. They could realign their perspective or to give in and simply complain about the crisis that they were in. But no one could make that choice for them. They had to make that choice for themselves. And so do we. We have to make the choice. It starts with us. I have a little picture this morning of my little boy, Cooper. Uh, I told my kids to pay attention. I was going to show their picture. He looks just like his dad, so there you go. Okay, there he is. Uh, Cooper this year, um, kind of last-minute notice, wanted to play baseball. And during fall, the numbers are always kind of low. And plus, being COVID, there's not a whole lot of boys playing. So Cooper was five at the time, and so he had to play on the seven, eight-year-old team, which was quite interesting, all right? Um, and I was a third-base coach, so thankfully, he, he hit the ball and made it around the third. And now he's in his little running stance. You know, he's, he's cute. He's ready to go. And while I was coaching, I was reminded of a commercial that some of you guys may have seen. Uh, it's a commercial. This little boy uh, walks onto this baseball field, and he's got a bat. He's got a bucket of balls. And he walks up. He's all by himself. He walks up to home plate. He puts the bucket down on home plate. He starts digging in with his foot. He's probably about Cooper's age, maybe a year older. He grabs the ball. He picks it up, holds his bat, and he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws that ball up, and he takes a swing, and he swings, and that ball hits the ground. That little boy says, strike one. Little boy gets back on home plate. He's digging in the dirt, ready to hit a home run. He grabs the ball. He throws it up. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Swings and misses. Strike two. The little boy takes a deep breath. He fixes his hat. Spits on his hands, probably not, it's kind of gross. But he spits on his hands, 
is ready. He picks up another ball, takes a deep breath. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Throws that ball up, slow motion, right? And that ball goes up, and this little boy's got his eye on it, making eye contact. He gets back. He goes to swing. Slow motion in the video. It's cool. He swings, and all of a sudden, boom, the ball falls, hits the ground. The little boy's heartbroken. He puts his head down, and then all of a sudden, he has an idea. He looks up. He says, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> he was so excited. But the deal is, that little boy could not change his circumstance. But he could change his attitude. So Lord, help us have the right attitude of thankfulness by realigning our perspective. Number two, being thankful restores my priorities. Being thankful restores my priorities. Here's the question, and this question is one to ponder. If you woke up tomorrow with only what you thank God for today, what would you have? Say that again. That's deep, all right? If you woke up tomorrow with only what you thank God for today, what would you have? Thankfully, God does not take away things that we don't thank Him for. Instead, He has given us what only His Spirit can bring. Through receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have His Spirit. And through His Spirit, we can walk in Him, trusting in Him with all of our lives. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as your Lord, so walk in Him and built up and rooted and built up in Him and established in faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, or heart bursting, overflowing with thanksgiving. 2020 has had its moments. It's the kind of year that shakes the foundations of everything that we thought were solid. For some of us, it has really shown that nothing can compare to the love of Christ. I would challenge you guys that are here this morning with me to take out your phone. And if you will, open your photos and just begin scrolling through your photos. Or maybe you're at home this morning. I would encourage you guys to scan your living room and look at the photos, family members on the wall, or maybe the dirty dishes that are still in the sink left over from breakfast this morning. Or maybe those dirty clothes that are piled up that you got to get to later. Or maybe you're at work. You can look around at your coworkers and the place of business that is providing an income for you. Or maybe for those who are camping this morning, shout out to my camper friends. I still smell like smoke. Thank God for the opportunity to travel and to spend time with family and friends. For some of us, these images and thoughts can bring back moments, sad moments, like an empty seat around the Thanksgiving table this year, or not having the opportunity to see all your family members face to face. Even in the most unexpected loss or difficult time you have experienced this year, He still walks with us. 
When the world seems to be lost, he still guides. When you feel broken, he still heals. When you are felt, felt abandoned, he is still there. Helpless and hopeless and heartbroken, he is still there. As you look back, remember that every single thing you have received is another undeserving gift from God's mercy to you. Now put your phone down pay attention. <laughs> Some of y'all got distracted. James 1, chapter 7, or James chapter 1, 17 says this. Every, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Now, my little girl would be upset if I didn't put her picture up on the screen. So I got a picture of my little girl. This is Kaylee. Um, Kaylee has um, two dolls, and the reason why she only has two of these dolls are because they're pretty expensive. Uh, if you're watching at home and your little girl has these dolls, you know you have to take a second mortgage out to, to buy one of these little girls. But this past weekend, my family and I got to go to Nashville. And in Tennessee, they have a store that's called the American Girl Doll Store. Uh, there's not very many of those around, so it's kind of special when you get to get to one of those stores. So a couple years ago, we bought the doll that's on her left. And then this year for her birthday, coming up in a couple weeks, we bought her the doll that is still in the box. Uh, this, this store is pretty unique. You actually take your dolls into the store, and they actually have a station set up where these ladies come and, like, comb the dolls' hairs and fix them and style them and, like, pamper the dolls. And I'm thinking, I'm paying for this. You know, I could do this. And they're taking care of the dolls. And even my little girl's dog, got their, her ears pierced. It's, it's kind of crazy. But while we were there, I was thinking of another little story. You guys may have heard it. But it's a girl, about a girl that's about the same age as Kaylee, about 10 or 11 years old. Um, her dad was a traveler, and he traveled the world, spent a lot of times out of state, out of country. And every time he would travel, he would bring home a new doll for his little girl. And so in this, doll, in this girl's uh, bedroom, they had shelves and shelves all over the walls full of these nice dolls. Some of them were in glass cases. Some of them were still in the box. Some of them were on the side of the room where you could tell, you know, she played with those. And it was just amazing at this girl's collection of all these dolls from all over the world. Well, this family was visiting, and they went upstairs and see this little girl's room. And they said, hey, what doll is your favorite? Out of all these dolls, which one is your favorite? Good question, right? The little girl walks across her bedroom, and she opens up the closet and she steps inside the closet, and there's a little box in the corner of the closet, and she reaches in, and she grabs this doll, and she brings it out, and she shows everybody, and she says, this one's my favorite. It was missing an arm. The hair was all matted up. The family dog had used it as a toy. It just stunk. It looked nasty. It looked like it belonged in a box in the back of the closet. And they said, why is this doll your favorite? The little girl paused, and she looked at them and said, if I didn't love this doll, then no one else would. You see, we are that doll in the hands of God. We are beat up, we're blemished, we're imperfect, we're missing parts, we're broken, we're helpless, but yet God loves us as if we're the only ones to love. You see, reflecting on God's love for me, and re being reminded of the good gifts 
that He has given me, it restores my priorities. Lastly, number three, being thankful reminds me of my position. Being thankful reminds me of my position. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul said, when you were dead in your sins, that means dead in your sins. We didn't have a fever of sin. We didn't have mild symptoms of sin. We were not asymptomatic. We were dead in our sins. We were born into this sin culture. It was in us. We were dead from the beginning. But God made you alive and made me alive in Christ. How is this possible? Well, maybe you missed the word Paul used in verse 14. And the reason you might have missed it is because the word that he used in verse 14 has been the go-to word for the most of the year. It's the word that has distracted us the most. It's the word that has causes us to lose focus the most. It's the word at times that has caused bitterness. It's the word that has caused fear. It's the word that has caused anxiety. Did you see it? I'm sure you did. Verse 14 how is it possible? Paul says, having canceled. Canceled. Having canceled the charge of our debt which stood against us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. This was a debt transaction. Jesus was trading his perfect life for our sinful life. His undeserving death for our deserving death. His resurrection to give us new life. Now imagine with me, if you will, you breathed your last breath. You're no longer on planet Earth. And you find yourself in the middle of a football stadium. We have one, an image we can show you, but you're standing on the middle of this football stadium. And unlike what you're going to see on the screen, this stadium that you're standing in the middle of is packed. This year, we're used to seeing empty stadiums or maybe just a few people that, for some reason, they just line themselves going up instead of out. I don't know how they do that, but it's weird. But this stadium that, I, that you see right now that you're in, you breathed your last breath, you're on the 50-yard line in the middle, middle of the stadium, and it is packed. Every seat is taken. Every seat is occupied. Every ticket has been sold. It is a sold-out stadium. And you find yourself in the middle of the football field on the 50-yard line, and it is packed out. Well, you know who's taking those seats? Those seats are being occupied 
by every one of your sins that you have ever committed from birth to death. Word, action, deed, every one of your sins that you've ever committed are occupying those seats. Now for me, I would need all the SEC stadiums, possibly all the college stadiums, all right, the NFL stadiums, but every one of those seats is a sin that you've committed from birth to death. And you're in the middle of the 50-yard line. The guilt and the shame and the fear and the pressure that you must feel in the middle of that football field, looking in the stands and seeing every one of your sins, thought, words, deed, is staring right back at you. And then God the Father walks out on the field and he says, is there anyone in this stadium that has a reason why he or she should not enter into eternity, which requires perfection. Anyone have anything against the reason why this person, individual, male or female person, should not enter into heaven to spend eternity with me? Can anybody give me a reason? And then all of a sudden you hear this roar because every one of your sins stand at their feet and they begin this overwhelming chant. All you hear is guilty, guilty, guilty. And it's overpowering you to the point where you're trying to close your eyes and you got your hands over your ears and you're now lowering yourself in this posture because you're about to faint. This is way overwhelming. The roar, the stadium is shouting. It is shaking. Guilty, guilty, guilty. All the stadiums are shouting. Guilty. Guilty, and you're on the 50-yard line just in this posture. Now imagine, same scenario. You're in the middle of the 50-yard line, in the middle of the football field. God the Father walks out. He says, is there anyone can give me a reason why this person should not enter into heaven, which requires perfection? Give me a reason why they should not spend eternity with me forever. And you automatically get back in your position. You put your ears, your head down, hands over your ears, your eyes are closed. You're just waiting to hear the chants, the roar, the stadium shaking. You're waiting to feel it in your shoes and your feet. And so you go ahead and prepare yourself and you get in this posture and there's nothing. And you slowly start opening up your eyes and you start to stand up and you kind of take a deep breath and once you realize and you begin to look around the stadium and it's empty. Not a single soul is to be found. And you turn and look at God the Father and you're kind of like, I don't get it. What's up? God the Father looks at you. He says, have you not heard? It's canceled. It's canceled. Your sin is canceled. Your guilt is canceled. Your past is canceled. Your shame is canceled. Your fear is canceled. This morning, I want to encourage you. If you are struggling with sin and your failures cause you to fall short, canceled. If your memories of what you've done in the past are paralyzing you, cancel. 
if your memories of what someone else did to you in the past are haunting you and eroding your self-image, cancel. If you see your problems as a punishment from God, cancel. If you find yourself thinking God is angry with you and out to get you, cancel. If someone around you is putting you down and think that you are worthless, cancel. If the closest to you, those friends are always leaving you and you feel like no one cares, cancel. If your children are breaking your heart and you think it's your, your fault, cancel. If you find yourself constantly falling short and comparing yourselves to other believers, cancel. If Satan is condemning you as he will because he is the accuser, then tell him Jesus has canceled your debt. And therefore, there is now no condemnation. This morning, I want to close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon once said, If you believe in Christ, go to your beds this night and say, if I die in my bed, I cannot be condemned. Should you wake in the next morning, go into the world and say, I am not condemned. And if sometimes your sins rise, say, I know you, but you are all gone forever. I am not condemned. This morning, I am thankful that not just Thanksgiving, not just a little square on my calendar, but in all circumstances, I can be thankful by realigning my perspective. And being thankful restores my priorities. And being thankful reminds me of my position that's found in Christ alone. Cancel. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful this morning to you and you alone. You're the only one that has the power and the authority to pay our debt. And you have done just that. And so, Lord, this morning we are thankful for the things and the good gifts that you have given us. And I pray that we will realign our perspective. And we'll be thankful and restore our priorities. We'll focus on what matters the most. But Lord, most of all this morning, I am thankful that I know what position I am in you. This morning, I stand guilty. But before you this morning, I am found not guilty. So Lord, we are thankful this morning that you have paid not just some of our debt. You have not paid just part of it. You're not making payments, but you have paid our debt in full. And you're the only one that we owe our thankfulness to. So Lord, this morning I pray that we will just close the morning service here in the building at our homes in a posture of thanksgiving. That you have paid our debt and you have set us free. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Will you stand?